You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. You truly inhabit the praises of your people. You have wooed and spoken to our hearts. You have reminded us that we're loved. You have also said to each one of us, that your love never gives up, it never fails, it never, it's always there. Spirit is always speaking and we pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit right now on this place. That, dear Lord, what you've done in this worship, you will continue to do in your word. And, And Lord, that you would take this messenger and let me be a vessel that you can use. And Lord, we pray for every heart that it would be sensitive to what you want to continue to say. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40 and looking at verse 23. My, uh, I remember years ago, we were living in Titusville, Florida, and uh, some family members came to spend the night in our home, and my parents were contemplating moving to Yazoo City, moving back, um, back near my dad's home. So my dad was concerned about a job, he needed a job. Uh, the job market at that time probably was not good, but we had these people that came and stayed with us, and one of them was an individual who had a lot of clout and influence at Mississippi Chemical. And so my dad and mom made a bedroom in the utility room, and they gave this man and his wife the master bedroom and bath for them to stay in. And I remember overhearing this conversation Between my dad and my mom, I guess he was talking her into sleeping in the utility room. Um, You know, this man may be able to help me when we move back to Yazoo City because I'm going to need a job. Well, when we got back to Yazoo City, I don't believe that man helped him. In fact, I watched my parents go through great difficulty. My dad went, took a job from uh, in Jackson. He was driving from Yazoo City all the way to Jackson. My dad later admitted that it was a very hard time in his life. He was probably making about a third of what he was making as uh, working at NASA. And, and life was very different. It was very hard. And in some ways, I believe this man just simply forgot the kindness that my parents had showed to him. And and this is the environment that we come into as we're looking at Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, and Genesis chapter 41. So take a moment, let's look there. Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not do what? What did he not do? He did not remember Joseph, he did what? In the NIV, it says he forgot him. Now, let me go back and do a little background here because remember, Joseph has been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's been thrown into prison. Eventually, he begins to gravitate toward the top. God begins to use him 
as a testimony even while he's in prison. And before long, the warden begins to turn over the care and the responsibility of much of his uh, authority over to Joseph. Now, one day Joseph is walking through there. He sees the, the, uh, a man who's the cupbearer. He was the cupbearer to Pharaoh. He had upset Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had threw him into prison. He wasn't the only one. The baker, the chief baker, who was also uh, responsible, the main cook, the chef for the Pharaoh, he also was in prison. And so Joseph one day notices that both of these men are downcast and he asks what they're they're upset about and they begin to disclose the dreams, their dreams. And the outcome of that is is that Joseph interprets both of their dreams. He he tells the cupbearer, listen, you're going to be back where you used to be. Things are going to look up for you. He tells the baker, things are not going to look too good for you. But he tells the cupbearer, he says this, when you get back in your position next to Pharaoh, don't forget about me, remember me. Well, he forgets. You know, I wrote this down. I think it's important. When it came to the baker, Joseph had to tell him a difficult truth. He simply said to the chief baker, he said, listen, you're going to die. Three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head, you're going to die. They're going to cut your head off and they're going to hang you out there as an example. That wasn't, I don't believe, very good news. But I wrote this principle down. I want you to listen closely. You and I don't need necessarily a BFF. Best friend forever, is that right? Let me tell you what most of us need. We need a BHF. You know what a BHF is? A brutally honest friend. In other words, you and I sometimes, we need a brutally honest friend who will be a voice of truth in our lives. I sat here recently, a couple of weeks ago, with dear friends of mine. We sat in a restaurant. And I want you to know something as your pastor. The last five years have been some of the most difficult years of my life. God has been showing me some things about myself. And one of the issues that I've had is battling with unforgiveness and even with a measure of bitterness in my own life. So Sheila and I, sitting across from these friends, I finally looked at them and said this, I will do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to make myself completely available because I love you, I know you love me, and I know that you'll be honest with me. And I look particularly at one man I have great respect for, and I said, sir, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Charles Stanley said this. He said, there came a point in his ministry that he took four men, and he went off into the wilderness, and he looked at those four men in a cabin-type setting up in the mountains somewhere, and he said to these men, he said, men, I brought you together for this reason, to speak truth into my life. I want you to be honest with me, and whatever the four of you agree and tell me to do, I'll do it. Let me ask you something. Do you have anybody in your life that you give that kind of authority over to, to say, I want to hear honest truth. And we'll tell you some folks, listen to me. 
most of us will remain an entire lifetime the way we are because we will never allow anybody to tell us painful truths that we need to hear. We could close with that. Probably some of you would like that. Well, the baker got bad news. The cupbearer got good news. And the good news was this. You're getting out of here. And when you get back in your position next to Pharaoh, I want you to remember me. Joseph says to him, listen, don't forget me. Please remember me. Listen, things have gone wrong. I'm sure he told him, he said, man, Potiphar's wife, she said, well, first of all, my brother sold me into slavery. I was sold by the, into the Ishmaelites' hands. They sold me to Potiphar. I got to Potiphar's household. And before long, a conspiracy by Potiphar's wife resulted in me being here. I don't deserve to be here. There's been a lot of things that have happened in my life that are not fair. That were no fault of my own. And all I'm asking you to do when you get out of this prison, would you remember me? Don't forget me. Now, I wrote these statements down because I think this is important. Number one. You are not where you are without the help of other people. Whatever achievement, wherever you are, whatever's going on good in your life, it is partly due to the help of other people because someone thought of you. You know, we forget. I wrote down we forget and then we become ungrateful. We become unwilling to help others. We begin to convince ourselves that it was due to our gifts, our abilities, that we landed this job. And before long, we've got our platform. We've got our opportunities. Things are working out for us. We've gotten out of prison, but we forgot all the other people that are in prison. Is that not true? I remember one day, Amy, she contacted me. She said, Dad, what is going on on Twitter? I said, what? She said, what's the deal between you and Michael Hyatt? Michael Hyatt wrote a New York Times bestseller called Platform. And in a Twitter exchange with Michael Hyatt, I simply made this statement. I said, never forget when you have a platform, your responsibility ought to help, be able to help other people have a platform. He didn't like that at all. And boy, he recoiled against that in a, in a Twitter exchange. But I want you to understand this, your responsibility and my responsibility when God gives us a break or an opportunity is to listen, he is moving us out of the prison so we can get other people out of the prison. Is that not true? Number two, now listen closely. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own success, our own good fortune, when we get out of the prison, we forget other people who helped us get out of the prison. This cupbearer moved on with his life. Reggie James Montgomery Boyce in commentary, one of the great commentators, uh, Presbyterian, a godly man. I, I didn't know, but he's gone to be with the Lord. But he, he literally brought this whole chapter down to one word, forgotten. Forgotten. There's a principle here. Now I want you to listen closely. God is not trying to get a blessing to you. God is trying to get a blessing through you. If you and I begin to see things working out in our life, if you get a good job, let me tell you what God's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to think about all the other people that don't have a job. And you to be busy trying to get a blessing, not only in your life, but through you. You remember the song, is your life a channel of what? Blessing. Is the love of God flowing through you? God's not looking for reservoirs. He's looking for rivers. You know, some of us are like the Dead Sea. It flows in us, and man, it just dies there. 
We hoard it and hang on to it. But that's the difference here. Number three, remember this, and we've said this, God sometimes in our prisons is positioning us. You see, God could only move Joseph to the palace by moving him through the prison. Now that's critical because sometimes, another principle, sometimes life's prisons are God positioning you and I and changing the direction of our lives. Moving you and I into a place where he can launch us. Let me give you a second principle. He may be critical. He is putting maybe you right now in a prison because he's waking you up to the needs of other people around you. I often will tell Emily she's my hero. Emily is a radiation therapist at St. Dominic's Cancer Center. She said one day, she said a woman, a young mother who has cancer and I, I may have died by now was being put in that tube, being made ready for the radiation treatment. Emily said she could hear those sounds. (laughs) Emily said, I stopped. I walked around there. I looked and there was this mother, tears streaming down her cheeks. She said, I backed her up out of there. She said, I reached down. I pulled her up into my arms and I just held her and hugged her and told her that I loved her that I would wait as long as she needed to wait until she was ready and then she said for a moment I took my phone and I put some worship music and I set it by her head so that she could hear the comfort of God's word and music My friend, let me tell you, sometimes God puts you in a position because God is trying to get a blessing through you, not necessarily to you. You are the voice for those who may have no voice. So here you see Joseph being forgotten by the cupbearer. And spending, listen to this, look at chapter 41, verse 1. How long does he continue in prison? Two, what does it say? In the NIV it says two full years. Now, there's only two points. Number one is Pharaoh's dream. So we we look here, and let me just kind of move real quickly. Chapter 41 verse 1, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Now, Joseph has been to dream school. Remember? Joseph is like Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream. Uh, He had a lot of dreams. He had run. You remember we said he'd have his Starbucks coffee, newspaper running, chasing his brothers out there in the field and say, man, I had a dream and I dreamed that we were gathering up sheaves and my sheaves stood up taller than yours and y'all's bowed down to mine. (laughs) Hey, listen, that wasn't no way to influence his brothers. They didn't like hearing that at all. 
And then a few days later, here he comes running again. Hey, I had another dream. And this time he says, I dreamed that the sun, the moon, and the stars were bowing down to me. And even his father at that point, Jacob said, son, what in the world is it with you and these dreams? Listen, he had been to dream school. His brothers may have resented his dreams, but the ability to interpret dreams was going to be used by God. Pharaoh has a dream. Now let me just tell you real quickly, and we're going to move quickly. Pharaoh had a dream. He went to bed one night, and he dreamed that he was, all of a sudden he saw there seven healthy, I mean fat, full cows. And then he saw seven withered up, bone-looked uh, I mean, looked horrible cows, and these, these old withered up skeletal remains of cows ate the good, healthy, fat cows. Man, it woke Pharaoh up. I mean, he was distraught. He was upset. Goes back to sleep. He has another dream, and this time he dreams that these big old fat, full heads of, of wheat, this great harvest was taking place when all of a sudden this old withered, dried up wheat was eating the good, healthy wheat. And by this time, he's distraught. And so he is, he is worried. Now, let me, let me say this. God is sovereignly, divinely guiding and directing Pharaoh's dreams. God's in control here. I, I wrote this down. Let me, let me make a statement here. Dreams can be dangerous. You know, people come up to you and so a lot of times they say, Brother Jeff, I had a dream. And, and let me tell you about it. Now, let me tell you, most dreams are your subconscious mind dealing with fear. So if you dream that you're standing in your underwear in front of a big crowd, that's because you fear that. If you dream about snakes, it's because you fear snakes. You see, uh, your subconscious is grappling and dealing with all of these fears and trying to put them in the right perspective. So sometimes your dreams are not anything but gas and gravy. <laughs> they don't, they, there's no logic to them at all. So if you get up every morning and you're trying to figure out your dreams, remember that a lot of them is just your subconscious mind processing your fears or your anxieties, your apprehensions. But every once in a while, God will give us a dream. And when he does that, we know that there's something different about it. My dad, when my uncle Tom died, Tom died at 38 years of old of pneumonia. He had abused his body in a lot of ways, not taking care of his health. And he was dead at 38. My dad had great difficulty with that. My dad wept and wept and wept. Tom was my favorite. I wept and wept right along with him. We grieved the loss of my 38-year-old uncle and his younger brother. My dad got to the point he couldn't hardly handle it until one night he had a dream. He said, Jeff, he, I, I'll never forget this. He said, man, I had the best dream last night. He said, I dreamed I went to heaven. And he said, there, sitting there was Charlie Ward. Now, Charlie Ward had died a few years ago. There was Charlie Ward, a friend of his, and Tom's friend, and there was Tom. And he said it was absolutely breathtaking, breathtaking garden. He said it was beautiful. It was beyond anything I'd ever seen before. He said, I went up, and Tom was a cut up. I told Sheila, the ledge reminds me a lot of Tom. Tom was a cut up. And, and he said, I walked over in this beautiful garden, and he said, I looked at him, and I tried to talk to him, and said, Tom looked at Charlie and started laughing and said, he don't know where he's at. 
And they both just started laughing like he doesn't know it. We're in heaven and he doesn't know he's in heaven right now. Now, you and I have to understand that on a rare occasion that may happen, but be very, very careful in your dreams and interpreting other people's dreams. Now, now look at verse 8, chapter 41, verse 8. So Pharaoh had these dreams, and the Bible said in the morning his mind was what? He was troubled. He was upset. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men. It sounds like Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't it? He sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There are times when the world goes to the world and can't get an answer. And they come to you and I. And so here's Pharaoh. So we have Pharaoh's dream, second point, last point, prophet's direction. Because here Joseph will be the prophet. And he's getting ready to give direction to Pharaoh as to his dreams. Now I wrote this down. The man of God will warn Pharaoh whether Pharaoh listens or not is up to him. So here you have Pharaoh's direct, here you have the prophet's direction. Look at verse 33 and 39. And I know we're skipping around, but we're going to get through this today. In verse 33, because once Joseph explains, Joseph says, now Pharaoh, well, everybody just look this way for a moment. Joseph says, Pharaoh, he said, listen, those seven fat, healthy cows that eaten those poor, dilapidated looking cows, he said, there's going to be good years of abundance. But then there's coming seven years of famine. Now, everybody look this way. In the now region, that area, the most fertile land in the world, closely to the Mississippi Delta, they didn't know what famine was. When Joseph started talking about seven years of famine, that was unheard of in this region. You always had a bumper crop. Everything, that's why everybody went to this area. So when Joseph looked, he said, those seven fat cows eaten by those seven poor dilapidated cows, there's going to be seven good years, going to be seven bad years. And hey, Pharaoh, listen, because the sheaves, the wheat did the same thing, it is set in concrete. It is certain to happen. There's nothing you and I can do to change it. So now here's, here's Joseph. Now watch what Joseph does in verse 33. He's told the Pharaoh, he says in verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now look at verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. You know, I love this. You know, there was a statement made. Let me say this to young people. If you're going to interview for a job, you know what they say that we often forget when we go to interview for a job? We forget to just tell people we want the job. You know, sometimes you just need to look at somebody and say, you know, I really want this job. That carries a lot of weight. So here you have Joseph in verse 33. He says, now, now Pharaoh, he's got the ear of Pharaoh. He says, now what I would do is I would, now this is the most powerful man perhaps in the entire world. Now what I would do is I would look for a discerning wise man and I would put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Now look at verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as who? As you. The Hebrew word there is, is simply, it sounds funny, but it's the word beam. 
That's how you pronounce it, beam. It means to perceive, to discern, to understand, to distinguish. Hakam is the adjective that means wise or skillful or shrewd or prudent. What Pharaoh was saying, I need a man with wisdom. And you know what Joseph said? You got your man. Now, you may say, well, what is wisdom? James 1 says this, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask who? Who gives wisdom? Does it say that God's real stingy about it, kind of hanging on to it? Let me give you just a little tiny bit there, a little tiny bit. Like feeding a bird, you know, in a nest. No, the Bible says he'll just give it what? He'll just give it freely. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is this. I want all of you to think about this for a moment. I've used this a lot of times. Let's say that this room represents creation. This is everything. Over there is the Garden of Eden. There's a consummation of the age, the end of the age, uh, the second coming of Christ. And, and, and this is all of creation. Now, when the theological term that God is transcendent means that God is like where I am above his creation. In other words, when, when Moses said, God, I'm getting ready to go back to these Israelites and I, I've got a problem. What's your name? And he said, my name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. My name is I am. You know what he was saying? All of this, oh, there's Lincoln. There's Lincoln shot and killed in Ford's Theater. JFK shot and killed. Oh, there's Sheila. There's Sheila in her first marriage. There's Sheila, a widow. Whoop, look over here. There's Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything is in the present tense to God. Let me tell you why you trust him with tomorrow. He's already there. So when we say that God is transcendent, what we're saying is that God, from his observation, is able to observe his entire creation in the present tense. So it makes sense if he sees tomorrow, I might want to get his input and guidance as to the decisions that I'm making tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or five years down the road. So when we say, God, now here, here, here I am. And if you're listening on the website, I'm down on the floor now. I'm not on the platform. Here I am down here, and I just simply say, God... On my knees, God give me wisdom. I don't know the decision that I need to make. I don't know whether to buy this, do this, do that. I'm a parent. I don't know whether to give in here and allow her or him to date this person, that person. God, I just really don't know what to do. God, I need your wisdom. Now, this is what God does. Now, God brings me from the point of his transcendent position to give me insight through His Holy Spirit, as to what I need to do. I'm now seeing my life or the people that I love or a situation not from my position down there, but now I'm able to begin to understand it from God's position. Does that make sense? And let me tell you what God says. We're down here, we're saying, oh God... I just don't know what to do in this situation. God, I just, I just need your wisdom. I mean, we're down here on our knees, down here on the floor. We're just writhing in pain and saying, God, just give me a little bit of your wisdom. God's wanting to pick us up and say, listen, come on up here and let me show you your life from my vantage point. That's transcendent. And so Joseph is allowed to see into the future 
from the vantage point of God, what God is saying is, Joseph, come here. You need to tell the Pharaoh there's going to be seven years of abundance and there's a danger that they could be flippant and indifferent and just squander it. And he doesn't realize that there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph, this is not about Pharaoh. It's not about Egypt. It's about the Messianic line. It's about the covenant people. Joseph, your family will die in Israel because they're going to experience a famine too. Joseph, you need to see this from my angle. Now, what's important here? The Bible says in verse 38, it's the first time it's mentioned in the scripture. Do you see it? So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God rests? That's the first time we ever see the Spirit of God resting on an individual. I wrote down here, it's the dress rehearsal of Pentecost. James Montgomery Boyce went on to say this. He said, Pharaoh recognized what Joseph had that he did not have, and Pharaoh recognized where it came from. Let me make some statements and listen closely. In a moment, Joseph's prayer was answered. He had been in prison for 12 years. As far as he was concerned, everybody had forgotten him. He could have thrown in the towel. He could have given up. But God was in the process of moving him from his prison to the palace. Now listen closely. Sometimes you and I need to remember, watch this, our prayer, that prayer you've been praying for years, that thing you've been begging God for. Listen, watch this. This is how quickly he can answer it. Just that quickly. And, and there's a principle here. One encounter, one brief moment, one single conversation can move us from the prison to the palace. Luke 18, Jesus said this. He said, men ought always to pray and never give up. Are you about to give up? Are you in a prison right now in a relationship, in your finances, in a job or a lack of a job? Are you in a position right now to where you feel like you're in prison? And you're almost ready just to give up, throw in the towel and say, you know, I just don't feel like God's ever going to answer my prayer. Do you know how quickly God can answer that prayer and turn your situation around just as quick as I snap my fingers? In Laura Hillenbrand's uh, book, Unbroken, the life of Louis Zepparini, he's a POW in, G in Germany. Well, he's a POW in Japan in the, in the Japanese theater. The Japanese, do you know what the Japanese did to POWs when they were about to be taken over in a certain area? They, they had what they called kill-all. You know what kill-all means? That means they killed every one of the POWs. And so these men were living, Louis Zapparini lived for two and a half years understanding this, that at a certain point, hey, the Allied planes flying over, the bombing as it began to take place in Japan, as the Allies were winning the forces, they couldn't celebrate because they knew that the Japanese had a, had a policy and it was kill all. In other words, when the Allied forces got close enough, the Japanese would come in there and kill all the POWs. Until. Until one day Louis Zapparini said there was ash. Like snow. He said, a man who understood Japanese came in and he said, I didn't hear it correctly, but one bomb has turned the war. 
So he was struggling with the Japanese, and he went back and said, guys, I don't, I don't know what it is, but they're, they're talking about some bomb going off. It has something to do with this ash, talking about some bomb, and, and that the war is over. The atomic bomb put such fear in the Japanese that they discontinued the policy of kill all when it came to POWs. In one moment, these men who had lived in fear, isolation, and in a prison were set free. Wow. I love that. James Montgomery Boyce went on to say this, and I, I didn't, this sermon is not from Boyce. But there were a couple of points that I thought he really made very clear. He made this statement. He said, sudden, because you have to imagine this. In the prison, here's Joseph. He's been forgotten. He spent another two years. I mean, you know, he's just really, he's struggling to hang on to faith. And one day the warden comes in and laughs and says, Hey, Joseph, tosses him a bar of Irish spring soap. Hey, Joseph. Shaving cream, razor. To a Jew didn't shave. To an Egyptian, they shaved everything. Get ready, Joseph. Pharaoh's calling for you. Wow. Listen to what Boy said. He said, sudden reversals are difficult for most of us. For our eyes are not constantly on God as Joseph's were. When we experience a sudden reversal for the worse... We are despondent. We think God has abandoned us and we become bitter. Now listen to the next statement. When we experience a sudden reversal for the better, we are arrogant. Instead of thinking that God has abandoned us, we sometimes abandon God in our thinking. We become quite secular. It is a rare Christian who can enjoy sudden prosperity and keep his or her spiritual life on course. He said, Joseph, Pharaoh's asking for you. He stand, it's the equivalent, my friend, of this service being interrupted and the secret service walking up to one of you, walking up to Corey here and saying, Corey, the President of the United States has asked to speak to you. And I know what Corey would go. Chastity would be going, yep. And Corey would be going, Me? And Lexi would be going, Dad? Yes, right now. Pharaoh tells him his dreams. Joseph gives him the interpretation. And I, and I think it's important, and I know we need to close. I, I wrote down here, Reggie, that Joseph didn't take the dream interpreter position. You know, it wasn't Joseph saying, hang on, Pharaoh. Let me get down in the yoga position here. Um, um, oh, there it is. Now, you may laugh, but it wasn't about Joseph. Now, I'm going to tell you how many of us give and, and get enamored with all the blowing, jerking, and gyrating on a lot of TV preaching ministries. Do you know what Joseph said? It's important here. Joseph said to Pharaoh, he said, this isn't about me. In fact, in the, in the original language, verse 16, 
He says, it is not about me is a single Hebrew word. It is abrupt. There's no frills. It's unapologetic. Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And you know what, you know what Joseph says to Pharaoh? No. God can. It's not about me. It's not about me. Hebrew word here is a single word. It's abrupt. It's no frills. It's unapologetic. It's bold. It's the same answer that he gave to the cupbearer and the chief baker. You remember that? And if you go back, if you look at 40 verse 8, look at 40 verse 8. When the baker and the cupbearer gave, said, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. And that's what he says to the Pharaoh. That he, treats, he treats Pharaoh. Now this is critical. It is so critical. I need you to stay with me here. He is the same man whether he's standing before prisoners or Pharaoh. He's treating Pharaoh exactly the way he treated two prisoners. He's the same man in prison that he is in front of Pharaoh. Now that's important because a lot of times in ministry when you get around the affluent or the prominent or the popular, you kind of want to, you want to tone it down a little bit. You and I need to be the same. We need to be the same. It doesn't matter whether the homeless man comes in here or the president of the United States look this way because there ain't a dime's worth of difference between that homeless man and the president in, in, of the United States as to the value of their own soul. And he has called you and I to treat both of them exactly the same. It was a prominent, famous preacher who his, 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 his leaders came in back during the Civil War. His leaders came in and, and they, they said, uh, Grant's here. Ulysses S. Grant is here. Uh, president Grant. Didn't he become president eventually? And in the, in the course of this conversation, the leadership, church leadership said, now listen, tone it down a little. I mean, you need, to, you need to be sensitive to the fact that he's in the room. The preacher walked up to the pulpit, turned and looked at the president and said, if the president doesn't repent of his sin and receive Jesus Christ, he will burn in hell. Afterwards, the leadership went up and said, Mr. President, we want to apologize. He said, don't. He said, if I had men like that with that kind of courage, he said, we would have long since won this war. Queen of England said, I believe, said, I fear no one more than I, 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 I fear John Knox more than the armies of Europe. Wow. I wrote this down. Joseph was the same man, whether he was talking to prisoners or Pharaoh, he was predictable. Say that to your neighbor, predictable. That's a, that's a good quality. Listen to this principle. Men and women who are firmly grounded on the Word of God and sensitive to His Holy Spirit should be predictable. Yeah, yeah, go, listen to this. Dad, can I go? No. Dad, can I go with? No. Well, go ask your dad. There ain't no need in it. I already know what he's going to say. Dad's predictable. 
Let me ask you something. Are you predictable? The theological term here is immutable. The word immutable means unchanging. Do you know what the Bible says about God, Yahweh, the I Am? It says this. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if His Holy Spirit is living in you, shouldn't you and I be a little bit predictable? You know, my kids would say sometimes, some friend would be over there and say, well, go ask your dad. Maybe he'll let you. He ain't going to let me go. I can tell you already what he's going to say. No. Aren't you glad God's that way? Don't, go to, don't pray to God today. He's in a bad mood. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't pray today because God is just, he is really upset. He is throwing lightning and thunder everywhere. Now listen, he's always loving, always gracious. He is the I am. Joseph said, Pharaoh, this is what you need to understand. He was prepared for the moment and he stepped up and God moved him from his prison to the palace and he put him in that palace because the dreamer was getting ready to be the deliverer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, there may be people in this room who feel like right now that things are not working out. That life seems to have gone horribly wrong. They may feel like today that they are in a prison. It may be in a prison of a relationship. It may be in a prison where financially they're unable to make ends meet. It may be in a prison right now to where they're battling with children and trying to just get them grown. It may be a prison of an illness, a health problem that just holds them in bondage. It may be a prison of the mind. How often do God's people even find themselves in a prison of compulsive, obsessive thoughts that are damaging and destroying their lives. And though your word says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, they're in prison in their own mind. Lord, I know that, Lord, you can set free the captive, whatever it may be. But I know, too, that when we are set free from whatever that prison may be, if financially things begin to work out, we're able to pay our bills, we're able to get on our feet again, then God, you have put us in that position in order to help other people. If we finally landed a good job, if we've got a good opportunity, then you've put us in that position to help other people who are still in unemployment, they're still struggling, they need a job. If you have healed our marriage and you've got it where it needs to be, then you have positioned us in order to be able to speak truth into those couples that are damaged and broken and they're finding, trying to get out of their own prison. If you have led us and given us the ability to get our children grown and to walk them through the difficult teenage years and to wrestle with all of the problems and the heartache, then you have done so in order that we may help those parents who are yet to go through what we've gone through.
You set the captive free in order that we can set the captives free. Even most of all, our salvation in Jesus Christ. We have been in the prison of sin, separated from a sovereign God, broken, beat up, and bruised by the world. And in that prison, Jesus Christ, you have stepped in and you have set us free. You've taken the keys to sin and death. You've set us free so that we can take the keys to sin and death and set prisoners free. May we never forget that. And we pray right now, dear Lord, that you speak to every heart in this room and that we would do whatever you command us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.